Hallelujah. So glad to see every one of you this morning. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the Jesus seven statements that he made when he said, I am. And that referring that he is saying, not just as God said, I am. You tell Pharaoh or you tell those people that I am sent you. And now Jesus is saying, I am. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And so we're going to continue today in that uh, series. We're going to look at today uh, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're going to look at John. Every one of these, you will see John is the writer. He is very much uh, uh, just filled with who Jesus was and who he is. And so we're going to look at John chapter 14, the first 14 verses And we're going to look at that key verse where Jesus says that he is, in verse 60, the way, the truth, the life. The Word of God says, Let not your heart be troubled, but believe in God. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am... There ye may be also, and whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Verse 7 says, And if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son In verse 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that it is true, God, that, Lord, you're the one that leads us, God. You're the one that draws us. You're the one that provides the way. Oh, Lord, Lord, to salvation, to eternal life, to relationship with God the Father. Lord, God, to give us freedom from sin that has bound us. And, God, I pray, Lord, in this lost and dying world that, God, you would shine your light of your Holy Spirit so brightly that we can see the way to your glory. And, God, experience the fullness of your forgiveness and power. You move and speak, Holy Spirit, and you move in this altar today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Have you ever had your life kind of turn upside down unexpectedly? 
I think most of us can say that. And many times you don't even see it coming. You don't know what's getting ready to happen. Everything could be going wonderful this morning, and then by the night it seems like, how did things get so wrong? That happened. I, I read a story of a, a lady that was chosen as the Texas Chauffeurs and Drivers Association driver of the decade. Not just the year, a decade of driving. She was the safest driver, the best safety record, and she was getting a big presentation for this. And so she was so excited when she got her award, she got a big van and she went and got 13 of her closest friends and family to take with her to see her get this prestigious award. Don't know what it was, but something happened on the way and she flipped the van. In fact, it was such a bad wreck that none of them luckily were hurt Seriously, but all 13 of her passengers was hospitalized. Something happened on the way unexpected. In your life, that same thing can happen. Things happen we don't expect. And we, we have to know, Lord, we, and some of them, even like we were hearing this morning in the prayer request, some people's lives turned upside down. And the question is, what do you do then? Do we reject God or do we run to God? Such an important question in your life. Many times that when things go upside down, we say, well, God, you've turned your back on me. And that's the very time that God's saying that I'm here to help you. I'm here because Jesus' life, it took some major turns, didn't it? In these verses, if you read what's going on here right before this, 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 these verses, when Jesus says these things to his disciples, this is his last sermon to them. This is his last lesson to his disciples. And he has just spent, if you look at chapter 13, he has just given them three pieces of, of very, uh, uh, very big information that, uh, that probably shocked them and turned the world upside. I mean, everything's going great. You can put the sli title slide back up. The, uh, everything's going great the, uh, in their life because they're seeing miracles. They're seeing Jesus do all these things. He's fed the thousand. He's healed. He's raised the dead. He's done all these things. And they're, in their mind, they're sitting there thinking that God's getting ready to bring down his eternal uh, kingdom right on earth, and Jesus is going to be sitting on a throne, and they're going to be his closest allies in big, powerful positions, and they're waiting for all this to happen. They ain't been listening to what he's been saying to them. And all of a sudden, he kind of brings it home. This is his last time, and he's urgent with them, and he lets them know, he lets them know, I'm getting ready to leave you all. And then he throws the bombshell, and you can't follow me. Where I go, you cannot go. Not yet. And so the second thing he tells them is, it says, he says, and one of you are getting ready to betray me. Wow. And they're all trying to figure out who in the world is he talking about. And he's look, they're looking at each other. Is it you? Is it me? Is it going to be me? And, and, and then, uh, uh, then he has the, uh, the last one is where he says that, Peter says, Lord, I'll never forsake you. No, I don't care whatever. Look, the rest of these guys, they'll turn their back on you, but not me. And the Lord looks at him with sorrow in his eyes and says, Peter, not only will that not be true, but before this very night is over, you're going to deny you even know me three times. Well, Lord, what in the world's going on? And we see that Judah steps out of that very room and he walks out to betray the Lord. Their world's coming to it. And before the night's over with, they're everyone going to be running for their lives and not acting like they don't even know him. Their whole world's going to come to a crash in just a few hours. And what we see at the same time, you need to look at this. You need to get a picture of the Lord here. Okay, so their world's turned upside down. But Jesus knows everything that he's getting ready to face. He knows every detail. 
In fact, it's such stress on him that within a couple of hours, he's going to be in a garden praying with such intensity that his heart is ready to explode with such pressure of what he's getting ready to bear, this sin cup he's getting ready to drink, this separation from his father, this, this, inter- this incredible uh, destructive thing that's getting ready to happen to his body. It says that his sweat becomes his great drops of blood. He, he's got stress on him. He knows. It's not a surprise what's getting ready to happen to him. And yet he stops as he's getting ready, as he's walking toward that Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas has already walked and betrayed him to come and betray him with a kiss that he, like he loves him. And he, his heart is broken. And he stops. Instead of thinking of himself, he stops. And he gives these verses to these men and says, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me. Put your faith in me. The only, what is he saying? Here's the summary of the whole thing. He's going to tell that he's the way to help them, but he's going to say this. If you're going to make it through what you're getting ready to face in this world, you've got to do it by putting your faith in me. Put your faith in me. Don't matter what happens, put your faith in me. And so sometimes things fall apart. And sometimes we have these questions. What are we going to do? We have questions. Well, what are we going to go And where are we going to put our faith? And what's going to happen? We're going to see the answer to that question today. Whatever you're going through, I don't have to know it. The Lord does. And it's the same for you today as it was these disciples. And Jesus is saying, I'm the way. I'm your way. It's me that's going to help you through it. It says here, we're going to see here that he he says three things. And it's such powerful words. I'm the way, the truth, and life. First, Jesus is the way. Verse 6 is he says, he said unto them, I am. He's saying, hey, wait a minute. What do you, don't want you, you don't know how to get there. You don't know what to do. I am the way. I'm not what you're looking for, the truth in life. And this is an important truth. No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by or through me. And this is something that in this culture that we live in, this just goes against the grain to everybody. Let me tell you something, you can say God and you can say all these words and God can mean a lot of things. God can mean all kinds of different religions. But the God we're talking about, there's only one Jesus Christ. And when you say that you can only get to God through Jesus Christ, it's not us that's saying that, it's Him Himself here. He Himself says there is only one way to my Father and that's through me. Why? Because God sent him down as a sacrifice to pay the sin price for you and me. And unless we accept his offering, we cannot get to the Lord. Because his blood, his righteousness is what has to cover us. It's his forgiveness. He paid the price. Not you, not me. He did. And so we people have such a great, incredible problem. You find out, you ask, oh, you can believe anyway. People want to believe all kinds of lies. Why is that? By the way, I've, I've seen uh, some statistics that really caught my attention. In August 27th of last year, uh, PR Newswire had a survey that said, they did a survey across in America, and they said that 52% of American adults, over half of American adults, believe that Jesus was a great teacher and nothing more. Nothing more. He was a great teacher. He was like Confucius, or he was like some other great teacher from the past, and that's all. When he died, he died, and that was it. If we're here today, and we're doing this because of a great teacher, we are, as Paul says, of all people most miserable because our whole life is built on nothing but a, someone who did a good thing. That's not the case. We are, we are here because that Jesus is not a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher, but he is the living son of God who reigns today, not only in heaven, but in our hearts. We can put our confidence in him. Here's one that concerned me even more. 
It's in 2009. Have no idea what it is now. You probably have heard of the Barna group. You may not have heard of this other group, but you've probably heard of Barna, who does all these surveys across the nation. And they found out, now this one's concerning because this is just Christians, they poll. Just people who profess. Let me put it that way. People who says, yes, I'm a Christian. And they polled them, do they believe the devil is real? Do you know that 60% of professing Christians in 2009, untell him what it is today, said the devil is not even real. He's just a figurehead for evil. If you don't believe that the Lord is God and that the devil is real, you're already defeated. If the devil can convince you he's not real, you're in trouble. Because you're facing battles and struggles in your life on a daily basis that he's placing there to pull you right out of the merciful hand of God. And so we got to realize he is. And so, in fact, it says uh, Jesus said that he's the way. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, he said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and there be... And there be, or many there be, which go in thereat. That, that path is so, so many people is traveling uh, that the path is super wide. Because it, that many people is heading straight into destruction. That's where the majority of people are heading right now. That's why us getting a hold of God and praying before service and putting an effort forth. The majority of the people you know is heading down that path right now as we, as we go. They're heading down that path. We were on that same path one day. But he goes on in verse 14 and says, But, he says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Why? Because he's the only way. People doesn't want to receive it. They want to get there by listening to those lies of that devil they don't believe in. The lies that he tells them that says, oh, I can make it if I'm just a good person. I can make it into heaven. God's looking at me. God knows my heart. And if you believe these lies, please wake up. You will ne- there will not be one person that makes it through the eternal glory that's there because they're a good person. That won't get you there. Yes, you will be a good person if you're living for him, but that will not be what gets you through. That doesn't get you a pass through the gate. You can't make it if you just regularly, Lord, I show up to church every Sunday morning. That won't get you one foot into glory. Won't do it. You won't get there because, Lord, you know I pay my tithes and and I give more than anybody else. Lord, do you not see that I'm giving to the kingdom of God? That won't get you one step into glory. You won't get there if your good outweighs your bad. You won't get there if your name is on a church membership roll. Doesn't matter. God doesn't check the membership rolls. You know what he's looking at? The heart. Is your heart covered with the blood of the only way to him, his son, Jesus Christ? That's it. That's the only way. So Jesus is the way. He is the way to the Father. Verse 6 tells us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by one way, by me. Jesus is declaring you don't have to worry about how to navigate to God. You don't have to worry about how to get there, folks. He's telling his disciples, he's telling us today, don't struggle, don't worry about it. You can't see me, but I'm living in your heart. If you give your heart and life to me, I'll lead you there. I'll get you there. You get there through me. 
I hope Ramon don't care. I'm going to give an illustration on getting somewhere you don't know how to get to. He, Ramon was here last year, and it's been a long time. He couldn't remember how to get over here. So last night while I was here praying, I said, I, I thought, well, I know how to do it. I sent him a little Google pen uh, um, and a text message that will show him right where I am right now. And he navigates morning when he gets in his car hit navigate and it come to where I was okay the Lord is sitting there on the right hand of the father and he says all you got to do I'm going to put it I'm going to give you navigation to get to me it's going to be where I am and I'm going to be the one to help you he's going to help you navigate so we can get to the father he's also the way not only to the father but to salvation the only way John 3 we know these verses but it goes on after 3 16 says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son why do you give him that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes on in 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. You put your confidence of faith in him, you're not condemned. But he that believeth not is already condemned, because he hath not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. He's the only way. He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to salvation. So we see first that Jesus said, I'm the way. He also said, I'm the truth. I'm the truth. Boy, isn't truth, isn't that, isn't that what Pilate said? What's truth? He's talking to Jesus and he, he gets, he's frustrated because he don't know who to lean on. Everybody comes to him and gives him all these stories and he has to try to figure out what's the truth. And he just says, sir, he's frustrated. His wife's already warned him, don't you do anything to that man. I've had bad dreams. You don't touch that man. And he's trying to please his wife. How I many he knows you need to please your wife every once in a while? He's trying to please his wife, but he's also got a position. He's got to do it. And he's sitting here saying, what is truth? He's frustrated. And right in front of him, truth is standing. Right in front of him. Right in front of us today, truth is here. It's Jesus Christ. Truth is talking about that Word of God. What can you put your life on? What can you base your life upon? This is a living Word of God. Jesus came as the living Logos. He came as the living Word of God, the fulfillment of the Word. You can stake your life on this. You can put your life on this. He is the truth. He gives, us a, he gives the disciples some things that, they, that he can, they can put their life on. They can, they're getting ready to go through some things, and these are the things they're going to have to trust. Put your trust in me. But you can trust me. And here's what he's telling them. First, in that verse 1, he tells them, uh, he tells them that uh, they can trust him to never forsake them. John 14, 1 says, Let your heart not be troubled. Ye believe in God. You put your faith in God. Put your faith also in me. Put faith in me. Do you know what? You, you know what? Inside of him, as he says this, he's telling them that they can put their faith in him, knowing that in a couple of hours, every single one of them, he can't put his faith in them. Every one of them is going to run from it. Every one of them is going to be fearful. Every one of them is going to forsake. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not that way with you. You can put your confidence in me. How many today knows that when you went through your darkest hour and you cried out to God, you felt him reach down and he came through for you and he let you know, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. No matter how dark it gets, no matter what the devil tells you that doesn't exist, supposedly, the devil tells you in your mind, all that I forsake, no, I haven't. I'm right there. I'm an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Jesus knew what it meant to be troubled, by the way. You know, that's how he can feel our compassion. That's how he understands us because he knows. he was. In fact, there's two, at least two times that Scripture says Jesus was troubled. There's things that Jesus was troubled, not because he didn't have control, as we're going to see in the first one, but because he felt the empathy from you and me. 
The first one, it says in John chapter 11, 32 and 33, Jesus was troubled by Mary's grief over the loss of her brother. He, he knew what he was going to do. But it says in verse 32, And when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him and fell down at his feet, saying unto him, and no doubt with tears flowing down her face, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And verse 33 says, And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. His heart broke. His heart was stirred with compassion to where he seen and felt the pain that she was suffering. That's not the only time. In fact, the next time it says this was the chapter before when Jesus is telling them that, that someone is getting ready. He says, to, before this night is over, one of you is going to betray me. And he's talking about Judas. And John chapter 13, verse 21 says, And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Why was he troubled? You see, these, these 12 men was not just acquaintances. They weren't just family. They were his closest allies. That He had spent three and a half years with these men every single day. He poured into them. He loved them. He personally chose them. He was working on them. He had plans for them. And he was ministering. And he had a plan for them. And he was getting ready to leave them to, so that they could become the church. And yet one of them, one of them that he had poured into gave him the responsibility to carry the money back. One of them had let so much the Satan within his own heart that he hated Jesus enough that he betrayed him. And not only betrayed him, but he's going to kiss him as a sign. He didn't just come. I was thinking he could have said, there he is. That's all he had to do. There he is and turn away. But no, he wanted to just deceive him again by coming up and saying, I love you. Kiss him on the cheek. How would that, in Jesus' heart, knowing what was going to happen, his heart was troubled because he loved him so much. And he's telling you, you don't have to feel that way. Why? Because I'll never let you down. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never forsake you. You can trust him. Hallelujah. Jesus reveals the truth that he is preparing for your eternity with him. He's telling them he's getting ready to go. Well, it's not that he's sitting there doing nothing, but he tells them in verse 2, In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Do you know that if you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, that there is an eternal place for you in glory and your name's above the door? He's saying that I'm preparing for you because I love you and because I'm longing for you and I'm waiting for that day when we together will be together for the rest of our lives. I, I was thinking about how, uh, how exciting it must be. You know, the Lord's preparing for you and me. We're His bride. And He's excited about it. I was thinking about I, one of my best friends. In fact, he's probably still my best friend. Uh, Dane Gilpin, uh, his mom and dad, were, they all went to church. His family went to our church. And we grew up together, started out as arch enemies, and then become closest friends. Went to college together. And when we were young, I was so excited because we, you know, we can only get together when church or some special event or something like that. And I used to think, boy, because we just loved hanging out. And I was thinking how neat it would be to be, be able to be together a lot. And I got so excited because his mom and dad brought the property straight across from our house. 
Boy, I was just, we were planning the big things we was going to get into when he got straight across the street. Because then I didn't have to wait. I could just walk across the street or he could walk across the street. And this was well before we had cars. And we was going to be able to hang out. And boy, he's going to get in trouble. It was probably the Lord that kept that from happening. But it never happened. He didn't, they ended up selling the property and somebody else built the house. But I was excited thinking about being there next to him all the time. Well, well there's going to be a time we're going to be in the Lord's presence forever. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. He also reveals another truth. He reveals the truth that he's not only preparing a place, but he's coming back. And he's coming soon to take you back home with him. It says in verse 3, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That is your final destiny. That is what our whole life is surrounded. That is what we're living for. So many of us, this is the only generation that has convinced ourselves that it's better heaven is here instead of up there. Because of the blessings and all the things that's been made available to us, we have gotten so ingrained in this world that we may say, Lord, not yet. I, I, I'm not ready yet. Hanging on to everything here. But all, oh, but the Lord is saying when he's looking at us, he's saying, that's not your destination. My longing is to come and get you and bring you back to me. That's, that's your eternal. That is what you were made for. I, I get a picture in my mind of that bridegroom. You know, the groom will come and he asks her to marry him. And she says yes. And from that moment on, there's a, a, a token, a ring put on the hand that says that's now his possession and she's his. And there's a covenant been made there. And we are committed to each other, but the marriage has not happened yet. It's not completed. Now we're committed to each other, but it's not finalized until the day of the marriage. And until that point, she stays in the father's house, and she's getting ready, and she's preparing. He's preparing. He's getting the house ready. He's building and getting things ready so he can bring his bride home. And there's this expectation, this excitement, thinking that day is going to come, and boy, I can't wait till it comes, because there finally comes a day when he finally leaves his father's house, comes to her father's house, and he takes her with him, and he returns eternally that they're together forever and that's what his plans is for you and I there's coming a day when all these things down here will come to an end and if we're ready then we go with him forever but if we're not we're lost forever and so he's saying I'm coming back you know what this world for the majority of the majority of the world is not looking for that that's why there's going to be that's why scripture says so many is not going to be prepared and not going to be looking up when he comes and not ready. But I want to be ready and looking for him. What he's going to do in our lives. Do you know what else he tells them? That they can hang on the truth that he's bringing them. He says Jesus reveals the truth. That he will perform the miraculous in their life. And in yours today. Verse 10 through 12 says. Believest thou not that I am in the Father. And the Father of me. The words that I speak unto you. I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. And then verse 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. What he's saying is, you've seen all these wonderful things that I've been able to do, and you think that that's me? No, that's God. I'm in God. God's in me. Everything I do... Everything I say is not me, but I am the Lord. God is 
speaking through me. God's working through me. That's how I'm able to do what I'm doing. And the reason that you should be encouraged is that when we give our heart and life to God, He says, now I live within you and you within me. And now you are going to be able to do these great things and even more because God is in us through Jesus Christ who lives within our heart. And so He's saying, greater things are you going to do because I go to my Father. I'm an intercessor for you. Oh, what a wondrous thing. He wants to work in our lives. And he's telling them, and boy, does he work mightily in their lives. They get filled with the Holy Spirit and they go to the temple and the man's sitting there asking for money and they say, what, silver and gold have I none, but such as I give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And all of a sudden this man leaps up who's never walked. And he's leaping and hopping and praising God. Why? Because greater things are they able to do. Why? Because that's a sign. Jesus is on the right hand of the Father wanting to work through your and my lives. Don't be discouraged. Let him work through your life. And then finally on that point, Jesus reveals the truth that he will answer prayer when it's prayed in his name. He's listening for his name. My granddaughter has learned the trick of uh, some of, I don't guess we have an Alexa in here, but in my bedroom, I've got all, I've got smart stuff everywhere. And she likes getting on my bed and, and playing with my iPad and playing stuff and, and, and stuff. And she's learned how to get my bed uh, is a, a Tempur-Pedic bed. It'll go up and down and all that. She, she wants the remote. She wants to control up and down. Up and and she, then she starts saying, Alexa, turn on lamp. <laughs> she's, she said her trying to control all the things in the bedroom with her voice, except she's not clear enough just yet or we're going to be in trouble. But listen, uh, uh, Jesus is listening just as those devices are listening for that word. Jesus is listening for that key word. When you pray in his name, he says, those, when you pray in my name, I'm listening to you. And when you pray in my name, I'm going to do those things. He says in verse 13, John 14, 13, Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. He's saying when you're plugged into me and you love me more than anything else and my heart becomes your heart and you reach out and you're crying and you're reaching out to me and you want more of me in your life for whatever you're asking for, I hear and I'm going to respond to your prayers. He's saying to these men, you can trust in me. Not only am I the way, I'm the truth. And finally today he tells them, I'm the life. I'm the life. First we're going to see that life is light. In John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, again, John writing here, he talks about Jesus and talking about when he stepped on the scene of eternity. And it says in verse 4, it says, and in him, Jesus Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. You see what it's talking about, that word, and we've mentioned this, I think, maybe even Wednesday night. This comprehended means overcome. It's saying that Jesus Christ, when he stepped on the scene, the world was covered in darkness. Now, this, this reason he says these verses, and this could be a message all by itself. John chapter 1 and 1 was talking about in the beginning, instead of Genesis 1, 1 in the beginning, well, you know, was the heaven, you know, what is it? No, well, that's, that's John chapter 1. Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning was God created the heaven and the earth. And it says that darkness covered the faces of the deep. There was darkness in Genesis 1. Why did that change? The Word, Jesus Christ, was there. And when He spoke 
like God, God wanted it and said it. Jesus spoke it and the Holy Spirit did it. And so we said that let there be light. And all of a sudden, here's the, here's the truth about light. It's a wondrous thing. You know this to be true. Light pushes back darkness. Light pushes back darkness. And darkness wants to take it over, but it can't. Just a little bit of light, darkness gets pushed back. More light and darkness. When these lights turn on in here, when I first come in, it's totally darkness. You flip the light, all of a sudden, find, you, can't, you have to find a shadow somewhere. Darkness runs and hides. And he's saying that in Genesis, when God came on the scene, he spoke, let there be light, and darkness was pushed back and covered the earth. Now in John chapter 1, he is saying the same thing. On, when Jesus came to be born on the earth, darkness, spiritual darkness covered the earth. Completely covered, 400 years, not even, not even a man, somebody to stand and represent God. They was going through a bunch of motions, but there was no light. But it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, in Him was life, and life was the light of men. It's saying when Jesus come on the scene, all of a sudden spiritual darkness pushed back. And people who were standing in darkness and felt like it was hopeless and they had no hope, now light shone in and joy filled their heart because now there's hope. I see a light. And they moved toward the light. And darkness tried to comprehend it, overcome it. And Satan couldn't. And Jesus pushes him back. And he wants to do that in your life. God wants to shine mercy in our lives and others around us. Not only is life light, life is abundant. It says, John 10, 10 says, The thief cometh not, here's what he's come to do, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. He's come not to just change your life, but he's come to give you an abundant life. That word means overflow. That means a life that is full, a life full of joy and a life full of his strength and help. And even through the hard times that he will navigate with you so that you come out the other end and say, God, you've made my life overflow. I can tell you my life since the Lord Jesus Christ, there's been some bumps, there's been some problems, but I can look back in my life and say, my life is so much more abundant than it would have ever been. In fact, I don't think I would be here. If I hadn't given my heart to the Lord when I did, life, abundant. You know what else life? The light of Jesus or Jesus the light is, it's eternal. He's talking about eternal life. Before the Lord came and before you give your heart to him, you have no life. In fact, you're heading toward death. You're heading toward this broad path. That most people are going down. They, it looks like the life. If you've been to Las Vegas, there's a lot of light there. There's a whole lot of light, but it isn't a, it isn't a good light. It's, it's leading people to go the wrong direction and do their own things. And it looks like a big party in life that we live. And we're heading down that road, and it looks like everybody's going. Isn't that the way when you're trying to find some place and you see everybody going? Say, well, I guess I need to go that way. If the traffic's being rerouted and you don't know which way to go and you've not got a phone or a GPS, follow the crowd. They probably know how to get out of there, and you'll find yourself somewhere. And I don't, they're going somewhere, and you're not. And you'll find yourself lost or somewhere. They're going to a ball game and you're trying to get to work. You can't just follow the crowd. And that's what's going on in this. This life is only found through that narrow path, Jesus Christ. And it's trying to give you not death, but eternal life. Eternal life. Spiritual life. And it's the only hope we have. John, 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. 
He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. He's saying everyone that has found his Son, Jesus Christ, eternal life. See, God is life. Because God never had a beginning. God never has an end. God's never known in the beginning. When he says that word, he's talking about us and time. But God had no beginning. He is life. He's the only one who can give life. And Satan tries to steal from us and to give us death. And it says, for the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we see here that the word says his son offers life. But if you reject that life, there's only one other alternative. Death. Death. So Jesus is clearly encouraging his disciples. And yesterday, he's telling us, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And the question is, have you accepted it? Don't lean on yourself and your goodness and grandma's prayers and somebody else's and the, what you've done and, and you've not been too bad and I don't, I don't cuss like I used to or whatever it is. We've got to put our confidence, our faith, our asking Jesus Christ to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's how we follow him. That's how he becomes the way, the truth, and the life to you and I. Amen? Hallelujah. That's what he says at that verse 6. We'll end where we started. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Which direction this morning are you headed? Which direction are you? Are you on that broad path? Or are you on that narrow way that leads to life? Hallelujah. He's the way. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads and stand this morning. Mr. Priscilla, if you'd come. Lord, we come before you thanking you that you are life. God, we thank you that, Lord, you came as light. And, God, you shone. And, God, you're working. And, Lord, just like you loved your disciples so much that in the moment when you were in your greatest distress, the moment that you were heading toward Calvary's tree, that you stopped with such love and compassion to encourage them, put your faith in me and you will make it. And God, today, you're doing the same thing. You're sitting on the right hand of the Father. You give us your word. You give us encouragement. Lord, you're letting us see, yes, this world we live in is troubled. Yes, things are turned upside down. Yes, it seems like we don't know what we're going to do. But God, we got the same answer. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. God, if there's one person in this house today, if there's one person online today, God, I pray, that does not know you in that way. God, they've never asked you to forgive them of their sins sins and God put their faith in you God today let them see the truth and realize it's made available for them today because every single person that steps into glory is a person whose complete faith and confidence and forgiveness relies on nothing but one thing that's you and God, they've given you their whole life and surrendered their sins to you. And you washed them white as snow. God, that's how we make it. That's how we find the way, by surrendering and believing, as you said, on you. We believe in the Father. God, we've got to believe in you, Lord. And God, I pray that every one of us today, not one person makes an excuse to go on till next week. Not one person says, maybe I can do it. Maybe I'll get there. Maybe he's wrong. 
No, Lord, you're the very one that said it. And we believe in you. We've got to believe your word because if we're not, we're wasting our time. Lord, we're letting the enemy convince us of a lie. And God, I pray that you bring down every stronghold, every lie, everything that causes us to be led away from the truth and the life of your salvation. And God, that you would deal with hearts this morning.